So anyone who has gotten to know me uh, for any length of time has probably experienced me go on and on about some area of interest that just happens to be trending in my life at the moment, Uh, something I feel that everybody else should know about and care about as much as I do. For instance, there was a season of my life where many conversations quickly turned to the subject of roasting coffee at home. (laughs) So I was super passionate about it. I read about it as much as I could. I bought a home roaster, the Fresh Roast Plus, still have it, and whoever would listen would hear me extol the virtues of roasting your own coffee. It wasn't too long before my brother was roasting his own coffee, my stepfather was roasting his own coffee, and my buddy David Fisher was roasting his own coffee. And I don't think any of us are roasting them now, (laughs) but anyways... There was another season in my life where many conversations quickly turned to the subject of the Vitamix. Yes, I know, it's a blender, but still, I was passionate about it. Uh, Who owns a Vitamix here? A few? Come on, Vitamix fan club. I'm going to start a small group. But anyways, I, uh, like I said, I was super passionate about it. I researched it extensively, uh, was convinced it held a lot of promise for health and, and, and wellness. I still do. Um, and whoever would listen would hear me extol the virtues of having a Vitamix as a part of your kitchen arsenal. I still remember riding up to a men's retreat with Pat and Andy Detro, and they heard me go on, and they were stuck in the car with me. <laughs> So they heard me go on and on about the Vitamix. I know Ryan and Katie Tiefenthaler heard my pitch plenty and eventually bought one themselves. No commission on my part. Uh, But my knowledge and enthusiasm for the Vitamix was something I loved to articulate and then to share with others. And there are tons of other other examples that I could go through, everything from uh, traditional Chinese medicine on the one hand to Bitcoin on the other. All of these are examples of me passionately diving into a particular subject, learning everything that I can, and then enthusiastically articulating it to others with the conviction that it matters, that it's valuable. Well, this pattern of of passion and persuasion, I believe, points to something. Some might call it my personality. Some might call it a skill or ability I have, talent even. Some might call it a gift. But is there any justification for calling it a spiritual gift? Is this simply another expression of us being naturally supernatural? I mean, I think it's really easy to observe an act of healing, let's say, or prophecy, or a miracle, and affirm that that is a gift of the Spirit. And certainly we want to press into those expressions of discipleship, those gifts of the Spirit, as a normal or we might say a natural part of following Jesus. That's why we talk about being naturally supernatural. But is there a sense in which focusing almost exclusively on the so-called charismatic gifts when we talk about gifts of the Spirit causes us to overlook or even diminish the work of the Spirit in countless other areas of our life. Well, as we wrap up our series today, that's what I would love to explore with you a bit. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence here with us, uh, the power of your Spirit at work 
through us. And uh, we now commit this time to you. We yield to you. And we ask for your blessing on the reading of the scriptures. And uh, may you continue to mold us and shape us into the image of your son, Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. So we're going to read a portion of uh, Exodus chapter 31. We're going OT this morning. That's Old Testament. (laughs) And uh, it starts out by saying the following. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. There's something that I experience on a regular basis. I uh, sit down to write a sermon, uh, and I open up a new Word document, and uh, I stare at that little blinking line up in the upper left-hand corner. Some of you who are in school or who write for your work may uh, know the feeling. That little blinking line, it taunts me. It intimidates me. Reminds me that writing is a skill that often takes lots of thought, mental energy, and effort. And believe it or not, all too often I feel like I have nothing to say. It's that proverbial writer's block they talk about made all the more frustrating by that little blinking line. I think there's a reason why they call it a cursor. (laughs) Well, there is a sense in which we all have our own blinking lines. Former pastor and author Rob Bell says that your blinking line is whatever sits in front of you waiting to be brought into existence. Could be a sermon. It could be a term paper. It might be a meal that you're preparing at home, a project that you're looking to complete. It could be a phone call you're you're looking to make, a challenge that you need to take up, a cause you're you're, uh, feeling drawn to to champion. It could be a business you're thinking of starting, a a hobby you're looking at uh, taking part in, or, or a sport that you're looking to try. Or it might simply be the day in front of you with all of the ways that you're called to use your skills, your abilities, and your talents for both work and play. At a more fundamental level, I believe that this little blinking line raises the question, what are we here for? It's a a very basic existential question. What are we here for? And for many people, I think the world is seen as a finished product. You know, in the beginning, God created. And there was a moment when the Spirit of God was, was, was moving upon the raw material of creation and shaping and forming and bringing into being all that we know of. And after six days, it was finished, completed. And I think if we tend to, to view the world as a finished product, 
we will often experience reality as being fixed and static. But unfortunately, this isn't the picture, at least the whole picture, that the scriptures paint for us. In the very big opening chapters of Genesis, we see a world where stars and fish and oceans and birds and animals and plants and soil is all in an endless process of becoming. You know, it's not just a tree. It's a tree that produces fruit that contains seeds that will eventually grow new trees that will produce new fruit that contains seeds to make more trees. God has put within the very uh, his act of creation, this own, like, creation has within itself its own ability to create, is what I'm trying to say. It's a world exploding with life and beauty and complexity and diversity, all of it making more, evolving in such a way that tomorrow will be different from today because it's all going someplace. Everything is pulsing with creative energy, what we might call the breath of life or the spirit of the living God. And then right in, middle, right in the middle of all that is a man and a woman, and they are effectively told by God, enjoy it, care for it, do something with it, make something of it, take it somewhere beautiful and good and true. In other words, God's looking for partners. He's looking for men and women and children who will help to co-create this world that we live in. And there's a certain sense that we are left with this wondering, what will Adam and Eve do with this incredible opportunity? What will they do with this creative energy and power that they've been given, which then leads us to bridge the horizon of the scriptures in our own lives, it leads us to ask the same set of questions for our own selves. What will we make of our lives? How will we use our energy and effort? What kind of world are we helping to create, for better or worse? What will you do with your blinking line? Now, for some of us, the moment we hear the word create, we think to ourselves, Adam, you just don't understand. I'm not the creative type. I'm an accountant. It's not very creative or exciting, is it? No apologies to all the accountants out there. Or what does all this creative business have to do with being a mom? Well, let's look at this for a second. Accountants work with numbers and columns and facts and figures and spreadsheets. Their job is to keep track of what's being made and where it's going and how much is available in order to make more. It's fundamentally a creative act to make sure things have the shape, form, and internal coherence they need. It is creative. And moms, could anything be more connected with the ongoing creation of the world than literally physically bringing a new human being into it and then helping to shape and nurture that human being into maturity? See, whether we realize it or not, what all of this boils down to is all work is creative work. All work is creative work. And, and how I'm defining work is very broadly that work is anything that we use our own human energy and, and effort and skill in order to uh, create some type of end for a purpose, for a goal. All work 
is creative work. Because for better or worse, and I do have to emphasize that, for better or worse, because even though work is creative, it doesn't necessarily lead to human flourishing. But better or worse, all work contributes to the ongoing creation of the world. And since creation is ultimately a gift of God, there's a very real sense in which we can call all work a gift of God as well. Whatever your blinking line might be, God has fitted you for the task. He's given you skills, abilities, and talents, what we might call spiritual gifts, in order to help create the world. All work is creative work, or we might even say all work is spiritual work. You know, part of my goal in ministry is to help break down this divide between secular and sacred, because it's really an illusion. It's a false dichotomy. All work is spiritual work, which brings us back to the passage I read for today. The book of Exodus If you're not familiar with it, it tells the story of the Israelites' emancipation from slavery uh, in the Egyptian empire. And under Moses' leadership, they were led out into the wilderness where God begins to shape this new community. And then in Exodus 19, God gives Moses the law, which includes the the well-known and very famous ten words, as it reads in Hebrew, or we call them the Ten Commandments. But much of the instruction in Exodus actually concerns a building project, which is why people consider the last half of Exodus kind of boring reading, because it's like reading a blueprint. It's a building project for a tabernacle, what we might call a sanctuary, a place for this new community to worship. And over the course of six chapters, God gives Moses a very detailed work order. And then in chapter 31, we see how God intends to accomplish the work. When he says that the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel. And I've filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him both the know-how and the skill, the expertise, to design and construct this project. And it's not just Bezalel, he also has Oholiab to help him, as well as a whole crew who possess the spiritual giftings to make this project happen. Architect David Grusel is a modern-day Bezalel. He's one of the leading architects in the world of sports stadiums, and one of David's most impressive jobs was as the project manager for PNC Park, home of the Pittsburgh Pirates. There's lots of P's there. I love, I love alliterating with P because it really pops. And according to a recent article in World Magazine, talk about PNC Park almost always leads to that view. You know, from prime seating behind home plate, a double deck of seats embraces all three bases. The grassy outfield leads the eye on a running leap to the swoop of the Clemente Bridge, gateway to the Pittsburgh skyline and surrounding hills. Few ballparks seem so at home in their surroundings. And ESPN, which rates PNC as one of the top major league ballparks in the nation, says it's the perfect blend of art, architecture, and environment. The article went on to say that to the casual observer, ballparks and churches seem miles apart. But Grusel sees one obvious connection. 
He says, Christianity is a project for human flourishing. Christianity is a project for human flourishing. And he says that architecture is a means of creating spaces for humans to flourish. That's why so much care and attention was, was given to churches at one point in history. The designing and the architecture of churches, that's theological because this is a place where we are called to develop our ability to flourish in the world. But David's view of his work had not always been so thoughtful. He'd tell you that a turning point for him was a moment when God used this passage in Exodus 31 to show that he also was, was created, redeemed, and empowered by the Spirit of God for his work. In verse 3 of Exodus 31, God says he filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, making him a craftsman. All of these craftsmen were given the spiritual gifting to, to work with stone, to work with jewels, to work and build what they build. You know, each time the phrase filled with the Spirit is used in the Hebrew Scriptures, it almost always conveys the sense of God fitting a person for a particular task. And the New Testament uses similar language, but in a sense it takes it a step further. For instance, in Ephesians 5.18, a very famous Pauline passage, Paul speaks of being filled with the Spirit. And what we often miss grammatically is that everything that follows in the rest of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 is stuff that is to be done in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So he begins talking about the stuff that happens in church, but then he goes and talks about what's happening in the home, the household, and then what happens in work. All of this activity is to be done in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are gifted by the Holy Spirit for all of life's activities, all that happens day in and day out. See, the filling of the Spirit is not only meant to shape us into the image of Christ, it not only empowers us to do the same stuff that Jesus did, such as healing and deliverance, but also empowers and equips us to partner with God in all of our day-to-day -day work. In that sense, the work of an architect, the meal preparation of a parent, the schoolwork of a student, the many ways that we are gifted as individuals, which express themselves through abilities, talents, and even learned skills, these things are just as much gifts of the Spirit and just as important to the ongoing creation of the world as gifts such as healing and prophecy and so on. So you might think that what you do on a day-to-day -day basis is worlds apart from what happens here on Sunday mornings. It's what some people call the Sunday to Monday gap. But know this, all work is creative work. All work is spiritual work. And God's Spirit empowers you for your work. 
I was sitting on our back deck the other day, and I was reminiscing with Kat. I was kind of, I was kind of uh, previewing the intro to this talk to her. I was, we were kind of sharing about all those interests that I have have gotten passionate about, and how I've shared those with people. And and uh, I posed to her the question, "What would you call this? This thing that I do? Uh, how would you name this expression?" Uh, of, of who I am. Is there a way in which you could call this part of being naturally supernatural? And without hesitation, she said, you're preaching. It's what you do. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're exegeting a passage of Scripture. You're just going to preach. It's going to come out of you. So I might preach about the Vitamix. Look out. doesn't matter if I'm in church or I'm at home or I'm at a friend's home. God has filled me with the Spirit giving me the know-how and the skills to preach. All work is creative work. All work is spiritual work. And God's Spirit empowers you for your work. Actually, I think there's a lot of salesmen and women out there who are actually gifted as preachers. But they're using that skill in a different setting. And it's beautiful. Unless you're buying a car. <laughs> I hope there's no car salespeople here. All work is creative work. All work is spiritual work. And God's spirit empowers you for your work. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play. See, Holy Spirit-empowered competence, what I like to call it, isn't like a genie in a bottle. Rather, it's more like a coach who comes along to assist us just like a coach would a seasoned, uh, disciplined athlete. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in the New Testament as the parakletos. That's the word he uses often of the Holy Spirit, which can easily be translated as like a coach or a helper, someone who comes alongside of you. It doesn't replace you, comes alongside of you. See, the filling of the Holy Spirit doesn't nullify or diminish human responsibility, skill, or effort. The Spirit complements it. We have been given a role to play in developing our skills and talents in a way that also complements the work the Spirit is doing in this world. World. It's complementary. The Spirit complements our skills, and our skills complement what the Spirit is doing. This is why when someone thanks me for a sermon... After I'm done, I don't engage in false humility. I don't say stuff like, oh, it was all God. I worked hard on that. <laughs> I don't just stand up here and start speaking as if the Holy Spirit you know, is just doing it all for me. No, I put to use seasoned competence, as does the worship team, as does all the other skills and gifts that are used in the church and outside of the church. The skill of preparing and preaching is something that can be taught and learned and developed over years of practice, but it's also a gift of God. It's also something that I feel empowered by the Spirit to do. It's not an either or, it's a both and. I feel honored to partner with God in this work, and the Spirit fills me and comes alongside me in order to help me accomplish my task. So I simply say, thank you. 
And it's no different with the work that you do as well. You too have been given abilities and, and talents and skills that you work at to produce a certain end. It might be related to a particular job or not. It might take place here on a Sunday morning, but it's more than likely to just as easily take place in your home or in your workplace or at school. Whatever it is you do, though, rest assured that the Spirit desires to come alongside you in your work to empower you for your work. It's kind of like a parent who gives their kid a Lego set as a gift for their birthday, but then the, the kid asks the parent to come alongside them and help them build it. Your work is a gift of the Spirit, but the Spirit also empowers you for your work. I love how Paul puts it in the passage we've looked at a number of times throughout this series in 1 Corinthians 12, where he writes, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, you got to hear that spoken to you, to each one who's here today. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, or we might say human flourishing. I love how Eugene Peterson translates that last sentence in the message version of the Bible when he says, each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets, on, gets in on it and everyone benefits. Every single person here has been given something to do to show who God is. And it doesn't necessarily take place in a church. So be encouraged. You have been given something to do who shows who God is. So what you do matters. It matters. Because all work is creative work. All work is spiritual work. And God's Spirit empowers you for your work. But it's not just what you do that matters. It's also how you do what you do that matters. See, I would say that anything, uh, what makes any work Christian work is that it's work done well. Let me say that again. What makes any work Christian work is that it's work done well, whether there's a little fish on your business card or not. <laughs> That's not what makes a Christian business Christian. What makes a Christian business Christian is that it's work done well. It's work that we might say is aimed toward fruitfulness in life and human flourishing. And I want to give you one way I see this being expressed. In, in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, you may be familiar with this passage, very famous passage of Scripture that deals with what we call the fruit of the Spirit. But Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, by using the term fruit, Paul is, is saying that the, 
that these are the characteristics that will naturally be a part of someone's life as they're filled with the Spirit, as they're, he uses the term, walking with the Spirit. But basically, where the Spirit has power and influence in someone's life, you will find these virtues, virtues like love and joy and peace and so on. So one way that God empowers you for your work, it's not that, see, God gifts you on the one hand with certain skills and abilities and talents, but you're also empowered by the Spirit for your work by producing the kind of work in us and through us that is characterized by these virtues. So, for instance, let's say I'm a photographer. Well, how I take photographs and how I work with my clients matters. Do I experience patience in my work? Am I generous in my work? Am I faithful in my work? Am I kind in my work? Does my work lead to loving others well? And does it in some way lead others to experience that same love themselves? See, how you do anything is how you do everything. How you do the dishes, how you make spreadsheets, how you volunteer at church or in the community, how you parent, how you study. All work is creative work. All work is spiritual work. And God's Spirit empowers you for your work. So you're not only given abilities, skills, and talents to respond to God's call in your life, but you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit to work well. You are empowered to work with love. You are empowered to work with joy. You are empowered to work with patience. You are empowered to work with generosity. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're doing it in love, if you're doing it in, in, in patience, if you're doing it with joy, people can experience God's presence as you're engaging in work. It's a spiritual thing. And these are just as much gifts of the Spirit as gifts of healing and prophecy and miracles and so on. And they're just as important, if not more important, if you go on and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which talks about love or gifts in the context of love and how none of it matters if we don't have love. So be encouraged. Every single one of you have been given something to do that shows who God is. Your work matters. And how you do your work matters. So here's my suggestion for this week. Think about some work that you do on a day-to-day -day basis. It could be anything from you know, chores at home, to, uh, you know, pre prepping for the next Monday morning meeting at work. Meeting at work. And as you think about the work that you engage in on a regular basis, keep that in mind on the one hand, and then on the other, reflect on that list of, of fruit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, generosity, 
kindness, self-control, and so on. And ask God which one of those fruit he wants to produce in you and through you as you engage in your work. Maybe you already know. You're like, I want to work with more joy. So ask God for the gift of joy. And then look for ways that the Holy Spirit might be cultivating that in you as you do your work. Or it might be patience. And I know people are always like, oh, careful praying for patience. Pray for it. Who cares? God will give you grace. <laughs> it's a gift. Ask God what fruit he would like to produce in you this week and make that your prayer. Amen? Let's stand and worship.